Welcome, Welcome to Fightconomy. Here, Here we cover everything from finance, economy, and how it affects you. Please welcome your host, Kyle Talks. How's it going, guys? Thank you so much for choosing Fight Economy. Thanks for clicking the episode. Thanks for clicking the link. Thanks for downloading it. Thanks for listening to it. You guys are goats, legends, D, all of the above. If this is your first time here, this is Fight Economy, where we talk about our finances, the economy, and how it all affects us. What's the show? What's the passion behind this show? We should know what's going on with our money. We should know what's going on outside of us. And we should know how to use that money to our advantage, whether that be offense, defensive, putting it in, you know, all this kind of stuff. We should just be smart with money. We don't have to be degree holding geniuses to know what's our money. We just have to know what's going on and use that effectively. If this is your first time here, that's what that's all about. Also, I do have my main series, my main show, I'd like to call it, called Kyle Talks which is the name of the podcast as well. And that happens midweek every week. And there we talk about what happens in society, business, and culture. We invite people who are living inside society, business, and culture, which, spoiler alert, is literally everyone on this planet ever. And we talk about how we're navigating our lives, how we navigate those things, and how we are becoming successful successful in the midst of all of it. So if that sounds interesting to you, even in the slightest, go ahead and tune back to my Kyle Talks episode, or I'll see you midweek next week for our Kyle Talks episode. If you like what you're hearing, um, I want to ask before we jump in today, please go ahead and share the podcast, review it, and tag at Kyle the Horton on Instagram and Twitter. My my socials and ways to support me can be found in the links down below. Also, one more quick thing before we get started today. Today, as this episode will be airing, I'll actually be celebrating my two friends, Annie and Gilbert get married. Congratulations, you guys. Can't wait to, as you people are listening to this, I will probably be celebrating with them. So shout out to Annie and Gilbert. You guys are awesome. Can't wait to, can't wait to celebrate you guys. Now let's jump into our first topic today, which is not a good one, household debt. And here's those icky, two icky words, credit cards. Before we get started jumping into today's topics and articles, if you are interested in reading these articles for yourself or seeing where I'm getting this information, please go ahead and check out all the article links with the proper titles down in the show notes down below. Make sure you check it and also don't ever take my opinion for it, my word for it or anyone else's. Do your own research, come to your own conclusions because people are biased and people get it wrong. That's including me. So let's jump into today's first article household debt skyrockets we've been literally talking about what's going on and like as far as the u.s economy inflation is up we all know that inflation is up 7.7 percent let's round it to eight inflation's at eight percent the peak was at 8.7 so we have been seeing inflation come down a little bit but interest rates are getting like skyrocketing um for those if this is your first time or you're not you're unaware of how money works I will always say this because it may be annoying to you guys who listen all the time, but it's very important that people, even if they're just coming to understanding, know this. What am I going to say? How does how does money work in America? It's not by printing it. It's by taking out loans. So the money managers of America, or I like to call it the Federal Reserve, let's just call them the money managers, they increase the interest rate so it encourages people to spend money or not to spend money. So the higher the interest rate goes, the more expensive stuff gets. That's your crash course into how money works. So we know inflation has been high. Interest rates have been really, like, really high the past few months. And that's all 
culminating really in this household debt skyrocketing. So let's talk about it. Household households increased debt at the fastest pace in 15 years due to hefty increases in credit card usage and mortgage balances. If you've listened to any of the previous episodes, you know we've talked about housing prices and like the loans and the interest rates affect how much you pay for your house. And we know with interest rates being up really high, that's really affecting mortgage balances. So that's that shouldn't surprise us at all. Unfortunately, it shouldn't surprise us. The credit card balance, the U.S. credit card balance, collectively rose more than fifteen percent this past year. Households increased debt during the third quarter at the fastest pace in fifteen years due to hefty increases in credit card usage and mortgage balances. The Federal Reserve, or the Money Managers of America, reported Tuesday, total debt jumped by three hundred and fifty-one billion. That is $351 billion. That is $351 billion for those less inclined to, you know, street talk. For the July to September period, the largest nominal quarterly increase since 2007. $351 billion more in debt. That's you, me, or, or I don't use credit cards, so not not me, but I do have debt, you know, because school, yay, W school. I do have credit card, uh, credit card debt, oh, well, debt due to schooling and stuff like that of that nature. But 351, we're talking strictly credit cards. So people are popping them tags, so to speak, with this $351 billion increase, which is crazy. Bringing the collective household IOU and the U.S., to a fresh, crisp, sparkling number of 16.5 trillion. You, you heard me right, 16.5 trillion dollars in US household debt. That means 16.5 trillion divide about how many people own houses. Um, I ain't gonna do that math, but I can tell you that's a lot of money. That's an increase of 2.2% from the previous quarter. And it's an increase of 8.3% from a year ago. So debt is up 8.3%. Are we surprised with inflation and interest rates going up? No. Also, the increase follows a $310 billion jump in the second quarter. Um, that represents a $1.2 trillion annual increase. So all this, let's take away all those numbers, annuals, blah, blah, blah. Let's take all those and just say this. Household debt, so everyone in a household all of our debt combined is 1.7 trillion, which is an 8% increase year over year. Debt has surged over the past year due to inflation running near its highest pace in 40 years and also amid insane interest rates, hikes, and strong consumer demand. Ending it here, the biggest, contri- the biggest contributors to that debt load came from mortgage balances, which rose 1 trillion from a year ago and 11.7 trillion interesting and credit card debt which climbed to 930 billion so what's all this tell us um we're down bad right now um give you some context people are getting more jobs like we're seeing strong people are getting jobs um generally if you apply to a job you're getting it around this time especially since the holidays a lot of retailers are doing you know the whole seasonal thing so people are getting jobs people are getting paid more but it's not, we're not getting paid enough to cover for inflation. We're not getting paid enough to cover for the increases of food in our um, local grocery stores. 
We're not getting paid enough to cover fuel. There's a lot of things going here. So here's what here's what's oh, oh and let me finish this this not only are we getting paid more not only are people more people getting hired but also everything else keeps on getting increased everything else keeps on going up with it so we can't we literally cannot afford the cost of living even though we're getting paid more even though everyone's getting hired and all these all these things so why am i saying this and people are still buying stuff we still have people even in the face of high inflation interest rates buying things which shouldn't be a surprise because we all need uh, we all need toilet paper, we all need food, we all need gas to get to our jobs that don't pay enough for inflation. We need to do all these things, right? So I know a lot of, um, just to put you in the know, a lot of economists, a lot of my fellow cohorts and people I associate with, um, they talk about like how it's crazy people are still purchasing stuff, which to a degree could be correct, right? Like, wow, why are people purchasing non-essential items? like not anything that's not food grocery or shelter in this height because people want to spend their money um if you just look at the the psychology behind it what happens when you get paid more you try and go ball out right and that's the same thing here even in the face of all this stuff coming off the heels of covid still and the lockdowns it hasn't been that long since the lockdowns people are like look i'm getting paid more i'm trying to go stunt i'm trying to do all these things so really when you look at the psychology of it it's not too surprising the, what can we learn from this? What can we take away from this article? Um, let's let's chill out on credit card usage if you can help it. Let's ch let's try to pay for more things in cash if we can. And if you can't, try to make it a way where you can pay for stuff in cash. Be mindful because you know if you use your credit card, the interest rates are going up. So you're paying way more for that item than you originally think you'd be paying for that item. So what can we get from this? Let's be cool on using credit. And if we can avoid it, and if we can't, let's make sure we make those payments as fast as we can. Let's try to use cash more. It's um, just just to be aware of what's going on and know how your money is affecting you. I thought this was really interesting. Um, so make sure, you know, if you can't avoid it, try to ease away from using credit card because it's actually more expensive than using cash. It's actually way cheaper right now just for you to buy stuff with cash rather than credit card. Moving on to more interesting debt stuff. Y'all remember the student loan forgiveness? The Supreme Court thinks it's unconstitutional. Supreme Court denied student loan forgiveness program. So I don't know if you guys remember a few months ago, um, President Biden did announce a student loan forgiveness program um, promising to forgive at minimum 10,000 per student loan borrower and up to additional 10K for people who are who had Pell Grants, I believe that was. Um, and so, you know, I was a huge support as someone who literally just graduated college this year, um, having 20K, to, I would only owe like maybe 7K or something like that, which would be crazy, crazy nice. Very, very, very good things um, for me. And I know so many other students who went and got their education would be a nice thing. There's a lot of controversy on whether this is right or not, but uh, actually on that on the subject of it being right or not, let's jump into what the Supreme Court had to say and what's going on. So the Biden, the Biden administration said in a new court filing that it will ask the Supreme Court to lift an injunction or rejection, those words are synonymous, and allow a major student debt relief program to resume. The filing of the Supreme Court, or the filing of this came three days after a federal appeals court in St. Louis issued a nationwide rejection to temporarily 
barring the program, the student forgiveness program. That ruling by, by appeals court was in the latest series of legal challenges to President Joe Biden's plan to cancel up to $20,000 in student debt for millions of Americans. So yeah, it got denied and Biden said, come on guys, come on, we gotta get it. The Biden administration said in a new court filing Thursday that it will ask the Supreme Court to lift an injunction and allow a major student death program to resume. The Biden administration also stopped accepting applications for its student relief program earlier this month after a federal ju district judge in Texas struck down its plan last week, calling it unconstitutional. So let's talk about, so that's what's going on, right? Um, to give you the TLDR, he said all that, and the Supreme Court said, or LOL not, or imagine canceling people's debt and stopped it. Um, you know, there's a legal, if you're not aware of how it goes in the U.S., I think we're all, there's checks and balances. It has to go from states to Senate to House, and then it becomes bill when the president signs it, or comes law. It's presented as a bill, but comes law as President Biden signs it as it goes through all its checks and powers and balances and all that kind of stuff. So this has been pretty big news. And the reason why some Americans would call it unconstitutional is because like you're forgiving debt of other people. They willingly signed up to pay that debt. They willingly went out there and got those student loans. And they're saying it's weird that everyone else has to pay it off, even though they signed up for it. And that's a solid argument. Like I can't sit there and say that's stupid. Um, if I'm being fair, you guys know, if you don't know, I'm, I like to be extremely fair and I want to be like very aware of two contrasting ideas or opinions or ideologies are going. I want to be aware of what both sides are saying. I don't want to be like super blindsided or super like tunnel vision on one side or the other, because that creates ignorance. And I think at least for me and what I try to tell people who listen to the show and friends is like. We can have, you can have two conflicting ideologies, but they don't have to be mutually exclusive. Like two things can reign true and still be contradictory to each other. It doesn't have to be um, one or the other. And so I've had some great mentors in my life who have affirmed that idea, who are much, much older than me. Um, not to, you know, not to say they're old or anything, but I do have mentors um, wiser than myself who have confirmed this ideology and kind of say, this is like how we should think. So I feel pretty grounded in my ideologies. If you disagree, we can totally talk about that. I love conversations. Besides that point though, I understand why they're saying like forgiving debt of people. Like, even though you said you would pay this back, why should the American taxpayer have to pay it back? And I completely understand the argument. I don't think it's super rock solid, but I understand where it's coming from and it does make sense. It's not like it's stupid. But to refute that argument, I would ask, what about the thousands of dollars that college students paid, like myself, paid for these small businesses that we were keeping afloat during COVID? Through the PPP loans that comes, that comes from American tax dollars, we kept those businesses afloat. We were supporting those businesses. Oh, sorry. If you guys heard that, I'll turn that. We were supporting those businesses. That was my phone notification. I forgot to turn it off. I'll edit that out. We were supporting those businesses, not even directly through like us giving them cash directly, but those PPP loans and those cash bailing out of businesses came from the government, which we all know. And if you don't know, I'm about to rock your world. The American people funds through taxes. Also, I've heard arguments that I 
more agree with on the side of what about during the COVID era also, there was a lot of airline facilities. There are a lot of businesses outside of small businesses that were, that were, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't have it in my notes, but it just came to me as I was saying this. There's a lot of businesses that weren't small that we supported, for lack of better words. There's a word I'm looking for, but I just can't think of it at the moment. But we kept those businesses afloat, um, the, uh, bought them, not bought them out, but they bankrolled these companies so they wouldn't fail, which is, I'm going to off my notes for a second here. That is extremely like, if we want to talk about bailing out failing company, bailing out, that's the word, bail out. If you want to talk about bailing out failing companies, like a lot of airlines were, I don't know if you remember, but airlines were like pretty much bankrupt almost during COVID era, but the government put its hand in the capitalism cookie jar of the economy and gave billions to these airlines and didn't allow them to fail. They didn't allow a lot of businesses to fail, which is like, if anything's unconstitutional, that is unconstitutional based on the the ideology of um, capitalism, which is a free and open market where the government has no say in what they do or anything like that. So the fact that they didn't let these companies fail on their own is like extremely like weird. And there's a lot of people who make the argument, well, you shouldn't bail out students, which I will concur with. Like, that's not a bad, that's not a bad take. It's not stupid. Um, You can think it's stupid if you want, but from a logistics, it's not dumb. It's not like super out there, but it's also, let's be, if you are taking that stance, be intellectually consistent and say, let's not bail out the big business either. And you're obviously seeing a, a weird like hypocrisy. And hypocrisy has a really negative meaning. I don't mean it aggressively here, but I do but I do mean it like maybe a little bit in a comfortable way that there is some clear hypocrisy without with bailing out these big companies, but not being able to support these students who willingly went and went and got these loans knowing they'd pay them back. When I started going to school in 2016 in college, it took me five years to get a four year degree. It's possible. I know people who took them six years to get a four year degree. Go and do it. It's possible. But when I started going in class in 2016, 2017, I didn't freak. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know that I would have a student loan forgiveness program back when I signed up back then. I had no idea COVID. I had no idea Biden would be like that was like so long ago. Like I had no I went in knowing I would pay these loans back. And I can assure you most of my cohorts, most of my friends and most other people I met through college willingly go through college saying that knowing that they will pay it back as well. There are students who go back and try to get it for free. I would be ignorant to say that there wasn't, but there's always, you know, the, uh, what do they call it? The anomalies and like the, the, you know, the opposing forces, no matter where you go, you know, that will always be existent. Um, so getting off my uh, little rants tangent there, I think it's interesting that we have people who would call us unconstitutional. But then again, at the same time, on literally one hand, they're saying this is unconstitutional. And on the other hand, they were bailing out large billion dollar companies because they couldn't fail. That's crazy to me. That's a little hypocritical. Like I said, I don't mean that aggressively, but I do. I do say that to make whoever holds this idea feel a little uncomfortable because that should feel uncomfortable knowing that there's a clear difference in how you're thinking and how you're applying it. Also, if we want to look at things like from a, like a bird's eye view, if we're also being fair, 
that there's a difference between keeping big line businesses afloat, like airlines, food providers, and um, college students who took out debt. One's a little more beneficial to society because a lot of people use it and rely on it to do different things. So there is that side of it. There is that argument of it. I'm fully aware of that. So should you. But I'm just saying, I'm really off my notes here. But I'm just saying, this is an interesting kind of like, uh, uh, this is an interesting like case study for us to look at how these different, in this circumstance, political political figures value certain things over others. And this one, it values big business over students who go and get an education to eventually work for these big businesses or have their own business, which in turn could turn out to be a big business. It can go either way. What do you guys think? Um, do you guys think this will eventually pass? Do you eventually think this will go through? Do you think this will stop dead in its tracks? And do you think it's unconstitutional for us to forgive student loan debt? Rounding out our third and final topic today is one that will be um, fun. Um, we're going to talk about the crypto collapse, specifically the FTX, one of the bigger banks for cryptos, what you can call them. I don't know if you guys are in the crypto world, really, but there's been a whole thing about this um, FTX, which is an exchange place where you would buy crypto, Bitcoin, whatever you want to buy there, and you would hold it there. That company has filed for bankruptcy. People are calling for the heads of the company because they have been doing some crazy and not okay things. I mean, I was reading through this and taking notes is like throughout the week. And then as I was preparing for um, this episode, I'm like, these things they literally teach you not to do in business and somehow these like ultra like rich guys ladies you know they can get away with stuff like this in this circumstance it was two rich individual men um with a lot of other companies that were in this like shady dealings with it um i'm gonna break it down for you because i didn't and i went to school for this kind of thing you know what i mean so that tells you i went to school for this and i still really didn't understand i had to ask a lot of friends and make some calls to really understand and that's how hard like they present it they don't present like what actually happened in a real like dumbed down level for people to understand um and yeah so don't worry you're gonna know what's going on let's jump into it ftx crypto collapse the collapse of ftx one of the world's largest cryptocurrency exchanges has unleashed another bout of volatility in the highly speculative digital asset market i.e crypto the fortune of FTX's founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, he is the founder of FTX, which is now filing for bankruptcy. Sam Bankman-Fried went from nearly $16 billion of net worth, this man was worth $16 billion, to zero. I'm going to say that one more time so it hits you. You know how many zeros are in $16 billion? This man was worth $16 billion to zero. You went from seven, eight zeros to one. Within days, as his crypto empire filed for bankruptcy protection in the U.S. on November 11th. So as FTX, it was a crypto exchange platform. So you gave them money and then they gave you whatever crypto you wanted. So say you want to buy $10 of Bitcoin, you would load up your bank account. You would give them $10 and they would give you $10 worth of Bitcoin. That's how they made their money. So that's kind of gives you the idea of it. Also, there's other things like where you want to lend out Bitcoin. Like, let's say you took that $10 of Bitcoin and said, 
let me lend it out to someone as kind of a loan. They also did that kind of stuff. Super sketchy, um, super weird. Um, but what was what was FTX structured and how did it make money? So FTX was a conglomerate, as you can say. There's a lot of companies that partnered with them. More than a hundred different companies actually all united under the common ownership of Bankman Freed, the founder, and his co-founders, Gary Wang and Nasad Singh. In a bankruptcy filing, John Ray III, an American bankruptcy specialist who previously oversaw the collapse of Enron, described it as four main silos of what happened. It had a venture capital arm, where investors weren't giving money anymore, which invested in other businesses, which is a hedge fund, which also traded crypto for profit, and two exchanges, one exposedly, one exposedly connected and regulated by the U.S. audience, and one international exchange where rules didn't matter. Okay, that is a lot, and that took me a while to chew. Like I said, I even went to school for this, and that was like, what did you just say? Like, I, I got my degree and everything. I know what I'm talking about, but I had no idea what they said right there. So what happened? Let me give it to you guys in, like, the painfully... This is a little bit of what you call it, a little bit of a where you like undersell it a little bit. So there's it's a lot more complex. But if you want to talk about bare bones, you know what happening. So here's what would happen. They would take that ten dollars you gave them from Bitcoin and then they would give it to their venture capitalist, which are people that invest in them or something like that. And that same ten dollars would be used in other businesses. So would give that they would use that ten dollars to invest in other things, which is a hedge fund. They'd also use it to trade for crypto for profit. And they'd also use it to help fund different exchanges. So if someone wanted that $10, they would use that same $10 bill that they're already using to invest in different things. They've already gave to some other person and they're already using it to invest in other cryptos. They would give that same $10 bill to someone who just sold $10 worth of Bitcoin. Does that sound confusing and stupid? Yes, because dumbed down what that means, they were taking that same $10 and using it on four different like of avenues on four different platforms. So they're spending it like they had $40, but they really had only 10. That, my friends, is what you call leverage, financial leverage. Because you're you're spending more money acting like you only when you only have that much. And when you have a constant stream of income, you have good your leverage gets really high because you're leveraging $16 billion on $16 million or $160 million. Do you see how this like collapsed in on itself? Because all of it, so that's how it happened. They were taking that same $10 you gave them for Bitcoin and they were leveraging it on like four different business models. Like they had $40 and they only had 10. That is, that is how I understood it and it made it really like okay they were like way over leveraging themselves acting like they had all this money when they did but they actually didn't kind of thing and so what happened when what actually led to its collapse is this the collapse started because of a token called FTT so this was like FTX's crypto so there was like their own and what FTT was it was effectively of like having a share so if you had one FTT token, you had like one share in FTX. And that's the that's what this is what the token the company used and issued itself 
and promised to buy back using a portion of its profits. So if you bought FTT, you had some, sh think of it as a share in the company, but it's in a crypto. So if you bought FTT, like you yeah, have a share of FTX and it went up money, you're like, oh, let me sell it because I've made money on my share. That's how they trained you to think about it. Documents eventually leaked to new sites like Coindesk, suggesting that Alameda, which is um, a hedge fund, was using the FTT or the shares of FTX to make risky loans, trading using company script, company money. So not only were they out leveraging themselves on that $10 bill, they were also taking money that people gave them for FTT, which is their shares. They were making risky loans and investments on top of the already risky loans and investments that they were doing on the side with these four other companies. So not only are they over leveraged on that $10 bill, you had people who bought their crypto token or shares of their company and they would further go and do more risky investments with that same money they made from the shares of the company. So what happens once they once the market starts going down like crypto has, you have this you have FTX which is this hugely comp, this huge company that's l like they're way too heavily leveraged on $10 times that by whatever to 16 billion and they also have shares of their company dropping but they have all their money tied up from those shares in risky investments and loans. So when people, regular people like you and me are like, whoa, this is dropping, I probably want cash, people start hitting sell. And what happens when all your money's tied up in risky investments that's falling down? You can't give them back their $10 because you don't have it. You gave them that $10 for their company and now you want your $10 back. It's probably $8 now because it fell, but you want your $8 back and you're just gonna accept that $2 loss. They've already lost that times like five. You want your $8 back, but they turned your $10 you originally gave them into negative 50. And you're trying to get your money back. And that happened across the whole company. And that's how it imploded on itself. Hopefully that makes sense. That's how they were over leveraged and they're making risky investments with their company money. So when people wanted their money back, it was all tied up. Plus it lost like 80% of its value. So you can even get your $8 back on your $10 investment because it already lost 50, it already lost $60 of the money that you gave them. So that is literally that if you want, that is why it's collapsing. <clears throat> a lot of people are asking, does this have effects like on the overall market? No, um, this FTX crypto scandal, I will call this cause it is a scandal. I mean, you had these people out leveraging themselves like, so much to the point that they knew it was wrong, but they knew they were making money from it and they thought they'd be okay. And actually there's statements from some executives that they thought they would get bailed out by different companies. Now, isn't that funny? Billionaires bailing out billionaires and maybe not wanting to do it for students. That, that is really interesting. How pertinent is that today? Anyways, you do with that with what you will. It's interesting and very sad that these people who were who were billionaires and millionaires in these executive positions were doing literally everything by the book that's wrong and yet somehow it still went unnoticed it still went unregulated and it's nothing happened now they run this business out of the bahamas where regulation is like who knows what 
re- banking regulations are in the Bahamas. Who knows if America has a reach out there? That's like all being debated in court right now as we speak, actually. There's lawyers working on this to see if they can fight them for some money for the people that they screwed over. Um, this is a big legal debate at the moment. So I cannot tell you what's going to happen because it's being fought in the legal system at the moment. So I don't know. But why this is scaring people is because you have these people coming billionaires, essentially scamming others and making all the other people who use crypto look bad or stupid. This won't affect the economy big in the short term. This isn't like this isn't going to tank the economy. This is nothing. This will not affect the economy actually whatsoever. The reason why this whole FTX thing is important is because crypto is becoming a big thing. Um, certain governments are working together to make their own crypto. So like the US dollar, but digitally to fight other crypto stuff so they can regulate it. But this is also the danger of having unregulated crypto markets. Something like this can happen where people can lose millions and not just the founder who cares about that loser anyways, because he screwed people. But he also like he's making out like a bandit out of this. Of course, he has nothing now. Um, good act. That's actually good because he did everything literally terrible, but there was no regulation and this happened. So what's, why is this important? Should crypto be more regulated or should it not be? There's been, there's examples that support both sides. There are plenty of crypto tokens out there and crypto places that aren't, that aren't regulated like Coinbase. And they do fantastic. They're in compliance with the U S government. Actually, Coinbase works very closely to um, with the U.S. government and the security exchanges to make sure that they are in compliance. So there's ways to do this right and there's ways to do it wrong. But it's interesting um, that you could use this as an antidote to say crypto should be regulated, even though crypto's whole thing is not to be regulated. What do I think personally? I do honestly believe crypto is the future. I believe give it 30 to 50 years by the end of my lifetime, at least you will. I think it will be a Star Wars situation where you're getting paid credits instead of like dollar bills. I, I honestly believe that will it happen by the end of my lifetime. I don't know. And if it does not definitely in my grandkids lifetime, I think it will eventually happen. I think that is eventually the world's going. I think it will happen, but I do think there maybe needs to be some regulation to it. If stuff like this can happen and people can lose millions or thousands or a hundred of their dollars. Um, so what do you think? Should crypto be regulated? Should it be lightly regulated? Should it be not regulated at all? I know I'll get some heat for what I just said, but I don't believe crypto should be regulated to the extent that the US dollar is. But also Bitcoin is its own thing. There's no company. There's no nothing associated with Bitcoin itself. And that has done amazing. What do you guys think? What do you think about this crypto thing? Are you for crypto? Are you not for crypto? Does this make you want to go deeper into crypto? Or does this scare you off completely? So guys, today we talked about how household debt is skyrocketing due to high inflation, high interest rates. Recommend staying away from credit as long as you can because it's significantly cheaper to buy cash right now. We talked about the Supreme Court denied student loan forgiveness based on the premises that it's unconstitutional. And also we talked about FTX, a big crypto platform, failing and losing billions and millions of dollars due to incorrect and honestly unethical business practices. 
that's everything we talked about. What do you think on these things? If you'd like to continue this conversation, please connect with me down on my socials below. There will be links to them to my Instagram and Twitter. If you enjoyed this episode, if you learned anything, share the episode and tag at Kyle the Horton on Instagram and Tigger, Instagram and Tigger and Twitter. Um, just be smart with your money, guys. Know what you're doing with it. Know where it's going. Be wise and just be be sober about it all. Know what's happening. I appreciate you guys. Share the episode. Leave a review down below. And I will see you next time for Kyle Talks. Peace.